The first command that Jesus ever gave was simple. Repent. Literally, this means to rethink, to decide to change direction in light of new information. The problem with many of us, though, is that we only rethink the next life in light of Jesus. But that's not what he says. Rethink this life. You who are poor, rethink your poverty. You who are rich, rethink your wealth. You who are moral, rethink your goodness. Why? Because the time has come. I am here. Um, so I'm Pete, you all know that, don't you? I hope you do. And um, I'm going to share with you this week, we're in number two of Rethink. So we're really looking at the Gospel of Mark, and we started on that last week, and we looked at some part of the first chapter last week, and this week we're going in to start on chapter two, to look at some pieces in chapter two. This week is called Jesus Forgives and Heals. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it? We got that? We'll finish now then, right? <laughs> Seems very straightforward. And, and when you read Mark's gospel, if you started doing that, it is pretty straightforward. Uh, I was really amused, actually, when I was reading chapter 1 a couple of weeks ago, because he gets to the 40 days in the wilderness, and it's gone in two sentences. <laughs> Whoosh. Okay. <laughs> and the other thing you may have noticed if you started reading is, how, how much time does he spend on the Christmas story? that much. <laughs> nothing. You get nothing from Mark on Christmas at all, straight into the ministry of John and then into the ministry of Jesus. That's where he goes. So I'm hoping that you guys are going to read along with us. I know if some of you have discussed that probably in life groups already, that you're going to read along in Mark. I think it's a good opportunity for us all together to be reading the same book. It obviously doesn't have to be the only thing that you're reading, but as we go through it on Sundays, we cannot cover every passage in the book. Uh, we could try, but you'd be here a long, long time. So we don't want to do that. So we're covering some of the passages, and as we do that, there's the pieces in between you can be reading as well. You can be discussing them with each other. If you know that your neighbor, friend, life group person, whoever, was also reading the same passage. And, you know, we have a lot to learn. We have a lot to rethink, too. So we can, as we do that, we can share with each other, what does this mean? I may not have the answer either, but... It's, it's really good to be doing that and to encouraging each, each other to do that. So I'm hoping that you will. So get reading. Um, get going. We'll see how we get on. This week, healing. How important is health? It's not very important. Okay, all right. I'll move on to next week then. Is is health important? Obviously, health is important. For most of us, it's very important. For many, we don't realize what a blessing we have in our health until we lose it. You like that? Uh, I'm like that. Um, my children are here, so they already know that I'm not very good when I'm feeling ill. That's even if you count that I'm good when I'm not feeling ill. You should get that. Um, I'm not that easy to live with. And I count being ill, everything from a head cold onwards. 
Okay, that's me. That's, that's being ill. So, um, yeah, fortunately, I've not had to endure a long-term illness because uh, I don't know what would happen. And I know some of you, are, you, you have long-term illness. It's, uh, it's a real reality for you. So I'm, I'm conscious of that as we talk about these things this morning. What lengths do we go to to stay well? Um, are there any amongst you who take vitamins daily? Oh, we have some of those, yeah? Okay. I once had a friend who took cod liver oil daily. Now, I don't mean the capsules that you can get down before you taste it. No, this was straight off the spoon. Every day of his life. Yeah, have you tasted that stuff? Oh. <laughs> So we go to, uh, to quite some length sometimes um, to, to find the secret of, of staying well. How many of you have seen the movie Extraordinary Measures? That one. Nobody's seen it. There you go. Oh, we have one at the back. <laughs> I thought more of you would have seen it than that. But. Extraordinary Measures, maybe you don't remember it. It's a drama about a father who has two children who have a rare genetic disorder, okay, and he attempts to find uh, a researcher and to fund the research to get the cure. So Harrison Ford, back there, he plays the eccentric researcher, who's uh, a bit tough to relate to sometimes, and you get the twists and the turns and the heartaches of a father as he, he gives up his job, he raises millions of dollars, um, he forms his own biotech company, would you believe? Um, and risks all he has to get what his kids need, his two kids, a rare genetic disorder. So um, the, the promotions for that movie, by the way, they lead with the slogan, don't hope for a miracle, make one. Get that? So it's supposed to be inspired by a true story. I don't know how true it is, but uh, it's, uh, it's certainly a touching movie. Maybe one that uh, you'd like to, you're going to revisit it because you don't remember it. That's the truth, huh? I don't know how, how old it is now. Well, I have a, this morning I have a true story for you um, that, that I wanted to share with you, and it's about some friends of ours. Uh, we knew these friends very well 12 or 13 years ago when we were in life group together in, uh, in California, in Palo Alto in California. So we've known them a long time, but we haven't really met them for, oh, I don't know, 10 years or more. We, our, our connection now is mostly via Facebook and all those types of things, and, and they blog, so we see some of that. They're an English family, though strangely we didn't know them in England. Uh, we knew them in Palo Alto. They joined the church we were attending, we were together, and they moved back to England probably, I don't know, I guess it was 10 years ago or more. So their names Martin and Sally Ann. They're a lovely couple, they're great friends. And we were, when we were with them in Palo Alto, they were raising two children, uh, Rebecca and Sam. So 12 or so years on, Sam is now 24 years old, and life is not going exactly as we, he imagined. Sam became unwell about three years ago. Didn't seem to be serious at the time. He was experiencing some vision problems. Uh, he had an MRI, um, and that led to some diagnosis of a brain, a brain inflammation. And for 10 months, he was treated with steroids, waiting for some improvement. Then there was a biopsy performed in January of 2010, so that's two years ago, 
revealed the shocking truth. Sam had a malignant tumor growing on the right side of his brain. Inoperable and terminal. Prognosis he got was three to five years to live. He's 24 years old. Okay? Three to five years to live. The situation recently has, has attracted attention recently from the press in the UK because Martin, Sam's father, is a professor and cancer specialist at the Leicester Royal Infirmary. He's working on a cure for leukemia and lymphoma. Many times he's had to give difficult news to uh, cancer patients, but never did he expect to have to hear the news regarding his own son. You know, Sam, on the other hand, he's a brave 24-year-old. He's a very bright young man, um, and he's taking a very radical approach to self-treatment, using alternative therapies to try to treat his brain tumor. So the BBC picked up on that, and some of the UK newspapers. Um, and I, I have a clip of what's going on. I hope you'll be able to follow it and uh, get past the accents, which are kind of English. The use of unproven alternative therapies versus medical science has always sparked a passionate debate, but never more so than in the Dyer family. 24-year-old Sam has a terminal brain tumor. Conventional medicine has little more to offer him, so he's turned to alternative therapies. His father, Martin, is a cancer specialist at Leicester Royal Infirmary, where he's working on a cure for leukemia and lymphoma. My immediate reaction when I first saw Sam's scan was, you know, we're going to get this fixed. You know, like you put on the white coat and off you go. But Sam, you, you were emphatic, weren't you? You said, you're my father, not my doctor. Yeah, there needs to be a line, yeah, line drawn. Having exhausted conventional treatments, Sam has opted for the alternative route. I decided that um, I'm going to try some stuff out. Some of the lifestyle changes are radical. Sam now follows what he describes as an anti-cancer diet based on a mixture of flaxseed oil and cottage cheese. Sam uses drumming to help him relax, but believes more potent remedies could help. One of them is the chemical sodium dichloroacetate, or DCA. It's had limited clinical trials, but currently is viewed only as a potential cancer treatment until more research is done. His father, Professor Dyer, believes it caused Sam nerve damage when he took too much. Then there's the illegal stuff. Cannabis oil has been proven in certain laboratory situations to destroy cancer cells and brain tumors. And Dad's shaking yeah. his head at yeah, this point. I mean, have, yeah, but that's in the lab. Cannabis oil, it's not really a drug. It's a mixture of a whole variety of different compounds, right? And that's the problem. And people watching would be very uneasy with the fact that it is illegal. I mean, that's the other point sure. that we have yeah. to make. It's yes, an illegal absolutely. substance. So yeah. Yeah. But we have yeah. to have the right to cure ourselves. Is there any evidence at all in Sam's experience and, and his results that would encourage you to say to a patient, for example, would you might want to try this? Sadly, no. No, I, I really can't. But you see, the situation with Sam, as we said, is, is extreme. Yeah? Young man, terminal diagnosis. Going to try anything. What gestures do you hope that maybe the medical profession, people like your dad, will actually make towards maybe a new type of treatment? I hope they continue doing what they're doing. I hope they find it. I, hope, I just want cancer to be gone, preferably within my lifetime, <laughs> if, if I carry on, which I'm hoping I'm planning to do, and it's possible. The path he's chosen is not without risk, but it has given him fresh hope. Can you imagine the strain that is for, for the family 
um, in having got to, to that state um, and having that uh, happen. And uh, I hope you can see the compassion there as well. It went now, but uh, you know, they're English. They're a bit stoic. But you can see, you can see that, um, that uh, you know, there's a strain between the professional position that, uh, that Martin has to take um, and, uh, or believes and the, uh, the compassion he has for his son who probably only has less than a year to live now. So un- unless there, uh, there is a remedy, unless there is a way forward, unless there is a healing. Um, Sam uh, is determined. In another interview, which uh, we wouldn't show here, Sam says, um, or he's asked, uh, what was he learning in the process? And he says, never say die. That's his answer. Um, so he's trying alternative therapies. He's absolutely determined to uh, be able to, to fight this illness. But it's still there. And uh, the tumor still exists. On the heels of all this publicity, he went to Canada. Uh, he was trying an intensive course of medicinal cannabis to try to prove his point and to shrink his uh, tumor. So he's nothing is not focused. And you know, he's recently back from there. He came back just after Christmas. I don't know what, uh, whether there were positive results or not yet. Martin, uh, his father, even wanted to switch his research to brain tumors to try to save his son until Sam himself opposed it. You kind of heard it there. You're my father, not my doctor. Um, Sally Ann, uh, his mother, she's a wonderful writer, and she's really able to express her heart. She blogs a lot. Um, One of the things she said was, I felt so guilty. His life and his future were being stolen from him, and neither of us could save him. So, you know, we continue to uphold that... uh, family and, and follow their progress, but uh, what a strain uh, illness brings, and what a tragedy, the tragedy of illness, the desperation for healing, um, and the impacts, not only on the person, but on those that are close. Who has somebody close to them who is in desperate need of healing? I'm guessing that quite a few of you are in that situation where you have somebody close to you who is in desperate need of healing. They don't have the head cold, like I talked about earlier. They have something that's a lot, lot, lot worse than that. So we're going to look this morning at Mark chapter 2, the first uh, few verses of Mark chapter 2, which uh, is um, about a healing. Already in Mark chapter 1, there have been several healings in the story, if you've been reading through it. In, um, in Mark chapter 1, Simon's mother-in-law was healed and also a man with leprosy. And uh, in chapter 2, we get this, this um, discussion of the paralytic. This one has a twist, which I think sheds more light on, on what Jesus was up to. So let's um, get ourselves into the situation. Let's go through the passage piece by piece. You need to imagine, all right? So, because we want to try and be there if we can. You're in somewhere in first, first century Israel, okay? I don't think the houses are very big. Um, I'm not sure what they're made of, probably sandstone or, or uh, mud or something. So, let's imagine. A few days later, when Jesus en- again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So, so many gathered there that there was no room left, 
not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. So he's come home. We don't know if this is uh, his house or or whether um, it's somewhere else, that most believe, in fact, that it's probably the house of Simon, Peter, and Andrew, who, have, uh, who are now disciples, just about. And also the place where Simon's mother-in-law was healed, which is the healing that uh, we talked about in chapter 1. And after that healing, people from the town brought many sick and demon-possessed people to the house, to Jesus. And it was like the whole town was at the door. So can you imagine what that would be like? Jesus preaching, healing, casting out demons, huge crowds in small houses. What an uproar. What, a, what an incredible situation it must have been in, in that place. Mark had already told us as well that the people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law that uh, they've been accustomed to listening to. Then it goes on, Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. When I first heard this passage spoken about, it was a long time ago, the preacher made one key point, and the point was this. Who paid for the roof? <laughs> I'm thinking this is not the main point of the passage, you know, but just in case that was in your head and you were really, this is, you know, burning need to know, well, we don't know, actually, but who paid for the roof? Let's imagine... This is your house. Jesus is there. So many people want to hear him. There's no room to breathe. And then some dudes climb on the roof and dig their way in. Okay, do you marvel at their faith or do you call 911? (laughs) Yeah, I'm thinking 911 is where we're going here. Is someone digging through your roof covered by the house insurance? Ah. How far did they go? They're carrying a stretcher onto the roof. They're breaking open the roof. They're lowering the mat. Now, for me, a mat is a mat. I mean, it's flimsy, and it twists, and it's a mess, isn't it? How do you lower a mat? There's no hydraulics. There's no pulleys. A mat twists and bends. They were determined, weren't they? They were pretty determined. As I ponder on that. I'm just amazed at, first of all, this group, these four men, and maybe there were others with them, that had this type of care for this paralytic, that they were willing to go to these lengths to get him in front of Jesus. I have to ask, are we that determined for the sick around us? Because they were really determined. Sam's mum Sally Ann had written about the pain that, of people that do the carrying, that do the caring, how much strain there is on those that carry the sick to the hope of healing. And I'm sure that many of you have experienced that. And it's not just physical as here, but the emotional burden of caring for somebody who is seriously ill and for which there seems to be no solution and no answer. 
He goes on. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Okay, is that surprising? For me, this is kind of a Homer moment. Who can do a Homer Simpson? Oh, great. It's much better than mine. It's like, what? I came here to be healed, and now you're telling me my sins are forgiven. It feels like, hmm, isn't this peculiar? Now, it, it works out okay, because he is healed, and we don't know whether he knows it at this point or not, but he is healed. We'll see in a moment. So, um, now it's possible that this man had sinned in some specific way, which is connected to his illness, and that Jesus is aware of that. Okay, So it's possible that Jesus is saying, your sins are forgiven, knowing that they're directly connected to his illness. Maybe, for instance, he was an aggressive guy and he got in too many fights. I don't know, just thinking. But no specific sin is mentioned. There's no hint of that in any of the gospel accounts. So it's, it's not clear that that was the case. It's more that Jesus seems to be saying we all need forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness of sins is really important. Okay? Can sin directly result in illness? Well, yes, in some specific cases. But it's not correct to conclude that sin, the illness is a result of a specific sin. Do you get that? And I don't want to conclude that here. I don't think necessarily there's any connection, though perhaps there might have been, and we're left to wonder. We can consider that most illnesses are, in fact, because the world is broken and we are broken. So sin doesn't make people ill, but in a general way, the curse of sin makes people ill. Does that make sense? So it's a general thing, not specific, but yet sin is in some way causing illness. So he wanted a specific healing of paralysis, and Jesus tells him his sins are forgiven. There's a couple of other ways to look at this. I want you to consider these. Um, ask yourself this. Is physical healing an assurance of happiness? If he's healed, will he be happy? Yes. For how long? Maybe for the rest of his earthly life. Then what? There's an alternative translation to your sins are forgiven that I pulled out of the Amplified Bible. Here's what it says. Your sins are forgiven and put away. That is, the penalty is remitted, the sense of guilt removed, and you are made, right, made upright and in right standing with God. So the sense there is far more than your sins are forgiven. The penalty is remit, remitted, the, the guilt is gone, and you're in right standing with God. Our sins separate us from God. Eternal life requires forgiveness of sins. So maybe forgiveness is his real need, and healing is the need he thinks he has. Another way to look at it. Perhaps his forgiveness is the key to his physical healing. In some sense, maybe paralysis um, 
maybe his paralysis is not exactly uh, physical, but mental or psychological in some sense. You can maybe imagine how that could perhaps happen. And then the forgiveness frees him and frees him to use his body again the way it was intended. That's also possible. But we see a linkage here, and Jesus is forgiving his sins. In any case, I think Jesus sees his true need. He sees through the man. He sees what the man really needs, just as he does for you and I. There's nothing more important, is there, than our eternal future. Even if it affects our existing condition, there's nothing more important than our eternal future. To be um, fully honest and straightforward with you, um, I didn't want to take this passage when Jay first offered it to me. <laughs> uh, he's not here today, so that's why we can talk about him. Um, <laughs> healing is a tough subject. You know, we, we all have friends we'd like to see healed, and we pray, and then sometimes healing doesn't happen, at least not the way we expected it. It, it doesn't happen as we want it. We don't get what we want. In many, in many cases and in many times. So we pray faithfully, but we, we don't see the result we want. Here in Cultivate, you know, we've seen some healing. I'm, I mean, Tom was in a very dangerous condition, we know. We prayed earnestly for Tom, and he's fully recovered, okay? But we have others, even here today, that we pray for, and we still look for a result. So I don't have easy answers, and it's not an easy topic. I'm not going to pretend. And when God heals and when he chooses not to heal, that's some mystery. But I do believe he can heal. And I do believe we have much to learn about that. I'm hoping we're going to learn something about that as, as we progress through this series and as we progress even this morning. Because I do believe we have a lot to learn and a lot that God wants to teach us. There's another thing I've been pondering here. Who had the faith in this story? Was it the paralytic? Or was it his four friends? Or was it all of them? Can we slip back a slide? Sorry to be annoying. Don't normally ask to go backwards. There you go. When Jesus saw their faith, it says. When Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. So we easily assume as we go through this type of story that it was the paralytic whose faith caused Jesus to forgive his sins and then he was made well. But is it his faith? Is it his faith? I think what we see in this story is the faith of the carers may have been more significant than the faith of the patient. I'm not saying that the paralytic didn't want to be healed. That's not what I mean. I'm sure he did. I can't imagine why he wouldn't. Uh, you want to be healed. And probably he had coerced or persuaded his friends to help him with this. That, that makes sense, doesn't it? But it's their faith that Jesus honors with the healing. So we, we need to think how that relates to us, don't we? That we must not give up praying for those that need healing. We must seek by God's grace to be those that pray in faith 
And we have, to an extent, a collective responsibility to pray for the sick in our midst, for us to seek their healing together. Let's go on. So, okay, looking at the slide. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? So, another reason for Jesus answering with the forgiveness of sins, as the thing that he says to the paralytic, is to show that he is more than a healer. To show something to these teachers of the law. I'm not sure sure that that's the reason why he did this, because I'm struggling with the idea that Jesus would be somebody who's using this guy's suffering, as it were, to prove something to the teachers of the law. I don't know that I'd go with that, but certainly that is one of the reasons that's coming out here, is that uh, that Jesus is showing that he is more than a healer. There must have been many folks around in that time who claimed to be healers in the, in the time of Jesus. This is not what Jesus is about. We, we saw in chapter 1 that he is preaching the gospel, that he's saying the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. They're really, it's a really key verse. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. This is what Jesus is about. So it's not healing. It's not casting out demons, though he is doing a lot of both. And the accusation, the, sorry, the accusation that Jesus is blaspheming is a very serious accusation. Blaspheming is punishable by death. Jesus is claiming to be God when he claims the authority to forgive sins. And this very incident is, in fact, the first thing that we see recorded that is the beginning of the opposition that led to his death. So this is where he starts to grate the authorities and starts to make claims which they're uncomfortable with, which ultimately leads to his death. So the next, uh, the next uh, part of the passage. Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Now, if you and I were faced with this man looking for healing, we'd probably be praying, Father, please heal this guy. Wouldn't we? That's not what Jesus did. In fact, what he does is he says, get up and go home. Uh, He doesn't even use the word healing, I note. Why was that? Well, again, I think it comes down to authority, to the authority of Jesus. He's not pleading with God. He is God. And, of course, that's one of the reasons why the authorities are very upset of the way that this is uh, evolving in front of them. So he has authority to do these things, and he acts boldly in full assurance. I'm left thinking, do we pray with the authority of Jesus? You know, we have the Holy Spirit in us helping us to pray. Do we let him intercede with the authority that Jesus would? 
Healing the world is one of the spiritual gifts. Could it be that God has blessed one of us with the gift of healing and we don't even know it yet? Because you have to try. The authority of Jesus is a topic that uh, is repeated in Mark chapter 2, so I think we're going to come back to it anyway. It's, uh, it comes out in a number of passages as we go forwards uh, in, the new, in the next chapter. I mean, in the account of the tax collectors and sinners, being lord over fasting, lord over the Sabbath. So the, the question of authority of Jesus comes back. We'll probably revisit that again later. Um, and uh, in Mark chapter 4, we get the statement, even the wind and the waves obey him. We'll come to that story. So Jesus is not just a sinless man. He exercises the direct authority of God. He has authority from God not just to heal. He has authority to forgive sins. That makes sense, right? The king must have authority in his kingdom. That's, as we've said over and over before, the king has a kingdom. The king has authority in his kingdom. That makes sense. And after his death and resurrection, Jesus proclaims, all authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. So his, his authority means opposition can be defeated and the sick can be healed. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The final part of the story, he got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. Well, and to imagine being there is almost impossible, isn't it? To see that, uh, that thing happening in front of our eyes. And we're left in no doubt about the authority of Jesus because the healing is completed. His sins are also forgiven. And maybe that is the more important thing. If you look at it from a, an eternal perspective, and I think that's what God does, um, one day we won't need healing. In fact, healing of our bodies, as we normally talk about it, is something that is between now and when we pass on, isn't it? But eternal life seems to be a lot longer than 70 years. So if we try and look at it from an eternal perspective, and it's hard, obviously, for us to do that, surely... Forgiveness is so, so much more important than healing, even though healing is something we seek and strain after, and we've seen examples of that. One day, we're going to have resurrection bodies. But the trumpet will sound. This is in 1 Corinthians 15. It's not on the screen, but you could find it later if you want. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will all be changed. In a moment, it talks about us taking our perishable bodies and putting on the imperishable, clothed with the imperishable, the mortal with immortality. So, we need healing, but we need other things too. We need eternal life. 
Is healing a reality today? Well, I believe it is. But I can't explain some of the situations that we find ourselves in where we don't see what we want. But I think we do have to learn more about it. We have a good teacher. A teacher is God working in us. It's the Holy Spirit. He will do that. He can teach us. But we do have a lot to learn. As I was um, preparing this, I felt constrained to share one more verse with you. And uh, it's um, from James chapter 5. It says this, Is any one of you sick? He should call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. It goes on to talk about confessing your sins to each other and praying for one another that you may be healed. Again, a connection between forgiveness, sin, forgiveness, and healing. So, I'm up for this if you are. Let's take God at his word. If you believe that that is an action that God is calling you, then ask. You can't ask Jay today because he's not here. But, but ask. I, I need to find a better alternative than engine oil. I'm going to go there. Very messy. Um, finally, perhaps you're among those who would go to great lengths to be healed or to see somebody close to you healed. But think about this. How much further would you go to ensure that your, sin, your friend's sins are forgiven? Because I think that's one of the things that comes out for me about this story. Healing is something we have a lot to learn about and we need to pursue God about. But how much further do we need to go to ensure the sins of our friends are forgiven? That we care about them in that way that they have eternal life in Jesus. So we talk about forgiveness of sins so often that it can lose its importance. It's the path to full life and to eternal life. It's really important. So we pray, we need to pray for friends, not that they will, not just for healing, but for forgiveness. Sam and his mother and Father, they know that whatever happens, their inter the internal inheritance of Sam is secure. He will be free of that tumor one day, albeit maybe when he's raised imperishable, but he will be free of it. And Jesus looks on us and he sees our needs and he is full of love and compassion for us, but he sees us and our needs in the light of eternity. He knows our struggles, but he offers us forgiveness. He offers us new life, new hope for eternity. You'll have a new body then anyway, assuming you have a need for one. But he offers us new hope for eternity. How far would you go for someone you know to get them forgiveness? Are your sins forgiven? Rethink. So let's rethink our lives and our priorities to be more Christ-like.
to see the world as he sees it, to see the needs as he sees it, to seek his kingdom and to have his kingdom come in our midst for his glory. We yearn for that, don't we? I know I see it in some of you. Yearn for that. Thy kingdom come. Come, Lord. More of it. More, more, more. So let's pray. I'm going to spend a few moments praying and then uh, we'll go into our response time and to worship and to thank God for all of these things that we've been talking about. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you care for us so much. We ask you just expand our minds, expand our understanding to know more of you, to be closer to you. We thank you, Lord, for forgiveness. We thank you that it's freedom from the penalty of sin, freedom from guilt, and a way for us to be able to enter your presence and to know you more. Help those of us who care for the sick amongst us and those that are sick to be those that pray in faith and teach us, Lord, and change us to be those that follow you and that do your will and that are changed to be more like you. Your kingdom come, Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus.